Hey y'all, this is Billy Deverts and welcome to Holler Back Season 2, Episode 2. And I'm Stacy Fugit, and today we have a very, very special guest, Miss um, Crystal Good, who is a poet, an entrepreneur, an advocate, and really just all-around badass lady. Um, and we are so thankful to have her here today. Um, but Crystal, I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, hello um, to your listeners, and thank you, Billy and Stacy and uh, UK, for having me. Um, let's see, it's always a funny question. Like, and the older you get, the harder it's like, tell me about yourself, you know? Um, <laughs> I'll tell you, how about because we are in global pandemic, political unrest, WTF uh, times? How about if I just tell you about who I am today? Um, And that is um, a a writer um, that's 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 just loves telling the stories of Appalachia and and who I am and West Virginia. Um, And that's a person that's building a business called Black by God, um, which is a a news media platform centering on. Blackness in West Virginia. Um, I'm a mama of, of, of three and they're all grown pretty much. My youngest just committed to um, uh, West Liberty yesterday. And I don't know if there's any basketball moms and you know, you UK basketball, it's a pretty big deal on a, on a full scholarship. My daughter is in oh, New York congratulations. City. Yeah, my daughter is in New York City. Not not necessarily always claiming her Appalachian roots, but somehow the most amazing, you know, folks from Appalachia find her and um, she's doing beautiful, um, creative, you know, photography and performing and, you know, really living her life. And my oldest first child um, is in cybersecurity. So, you know, I feel like um, who I am um, is so represented in my children and they give me hope and encouragement. Um, but you know, I don't know. That's a, it, it's always just a tricky question, Stacey. You know what I mean? It's like, ah, I'm Crystal. I'm here today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, we have a newsletter at the Appalachian center and the girl who works on it, um, we do a spotlight every, um, other week. And so the girl that works on it actually emailed one of the professors, um, in the sociology department and was like, Hey, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? And she sent back pages about herself and she's like, now you'll learn your lesson. Uh, (laughs) Give me a word limit. (laughs) Yeah. um, That's awesome. Uh, It seems like your kids have, they're the jack of all trades. (laughs) So that's awesome. Well, you know, I, what shows from you. I, I share that, you know, to say when people think of, a black family in Appalachia, they don't think of a, or maybe they do, maybe I'm stereotyping the outside, but they don't think of a young tech cybersecurity. I always joke my son is saving us from the Russians. I don't know what he does. I just know (laughs) that he does digital forensics and he, you know, is a hacker for good. That's about all. I'm probably really butchering it, but you know, he's in technology and he's doing well. And my daughter being transgender and a performer and just owning it in New York city. And, you know, my youngest being, you know, an, athlete and and academic and you know and then there's me mama and then there's uh you know my ex-husband who's great you know and a union man and you know people don't necessarily think uh that's not the image that that comes to mind especially um you know when i put my identity forward and front and center and that is as uh as an appalachian people always say well you don't look like you're from west virginia and i always say because i'm so tall (laughs) like what does that mean please elaborate (laughs) yeah I don't I I, you know um you know there's 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 landmines all around identity but you know um I'm I'm proud that uh I'm proud of my children of course but I'm proud of young people in Appalachia and the work that they're doing and 
you know, I don't feel, you know, I feel I'm at a different point uh, in my life where it's so beautiful that I couldn't have seen it coming. I couldn't have seen sort of like where the frustration meets the solution, where the years of work meet the opportunity. Um, and that is definitely represented in, 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 in my Black by God project. And I'm excited to talk to you about that. But, you know, I did a lot of work to get to today. And, um, and um, I guess that's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I, we kind of want to know it all, honestly. Um, yeah. We are going to get to Black by God. Um, but how I was introduced to you was um, seeing your work at TEDx Corbin. Um, and you perform some poetry pieces. And so mm -hmm. that's what I kind of want to jump into first. So how did you determine that, you know, poetry is something that you wanted to pursue? And like, tell us about your work with other Afro-Latin poets. Well, you know, I've always been a writer. Um, you know, I was that kid in class that just loved, you know, when the teacher gave the writing assignment and other people would be like, what? Um, and, and then I found a form in poetry and I found it, I sort of came of age um, during hip hop. And so I was able to find, you know, a format in the black arts movement, um, in poets like Intazaki, um, and, uh, Nikki Giovanni and 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 realized that I could write a poem the way I talked and that gave me a lot of freedom and um, so I started doing that and then when I was at West Virginia State University um, in undergrad I was sitting there and I was thinking I cannot be the only black Appalachian poet so I always say that I bowed down to the Google gods and I put in <laughs> African-American Appalachian and there rose Frank X. Walker. And, um, and that's how I found the Appalachian poets and, you know, started, um, started building relationships there and really found a family that I'm, you know, so thankful for. I just, I just don't know how, um, how creatively I would have survived or how, you know, the opportunities that have been opened, doors that have been opened to me because of the hard work that um, Frank X. Walker and Crystal Wilkinson and so many of the Afro-Latin poets, the scholarship, the dedication to craft, um, that, 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 that they have um, contributed to, um, to the uh, American writer's landscape, but specifically to Appalachia. So, you know, that's kind of how I came into poetry. And then um, once I connected um, and found my family with the Appalachian poets, you know, um, the bar went up and I still don't think I, I've met it. Um, but, um, but, you know, I have one little book, it's 10 years old. We can talk about that. You know, that it's, that alone, sometimes I wake up and, 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 and think about um, when's my next book coming, right? And, um, and what's happening? I think I get very distracted in entrepreneurship, which to me is a form of poetry. It's a form of creativity. It's a form of expression. So sometimes poetry for me is just a vehicle to tell a story. Um, and, um, and there's many, there's many vehicles um, to tell a story. And so I'm thankful that I have that base, you know, that, uh, that poetry base in me that just kind of goes through everything that I do, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think also um, the way you said you can make poetry by the way that you talk. I think that's so powerful mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I don't think our stories are unique in that I'm sure that at one point or another, you were also self-conscious about your Appalachian accent, you know, because I know that when I first got to college, I would not speak up in class because I was so self-conscious about it. And I don't think that that's, you know, unique to just us. I think that that's something that every Appalachian may experience at one point or another. So I think that that is a very powerful sentiment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I really, I, I agree with that. And um, that kind of leads up to the next question with, uh, so uh, like challenges, sometimes your accent can cause you a few challenges. Like when Stacy talked about whenever we came to UK, um, you know, I was judged over my accent before people even spoke to me and to be able to embrace an accent and just go with it. I think that's a really great thing. Um, so 
what has been the biggest opportunity for you as an artist from Appalachia and uh, what's the biggest challenge been as well? Well, I think that the opportunity is in the challenge. I think that I see a lot of, um, you know, mountains to climb, you know, um, I see a lot of opportunity um, and that in things that have yet to be created, spaces that um, Appalachians, especially black Appalachians have yet to be represented. And that, that gives me a drive, you know, and that also gets my creative wheels turning of what what could be i mean i'm in los angeles california right now um just here uh, on a project and you know one of the things that i love to ask people is have you ever seen a black appalachian character on any television show and nobody can name one so to me that's a huge opportunity um because it's not so much uh, the documentary, it's the, it's the everyday ordinary existence of, of humans um, that live and breathe and love in Appalachia, right? That um, we know that maybe the Beverly Hillbillies didn't represent fully, but they existed. And so I'm, I am you know, on something of a mission to see how I can thread that identity through popular culture. You know, I always joke, and I said this the other day to, um, by chance, now this wasn't an official meeting or anything, by chance, um, I ran into Mara Braca Kill, who is um, a Hollywood producer and director, and she's done television shows like Girlfriends and other things. And I asked her that very question, you know, if she'd ever seen you know, a black Appalachian character. Um, and I always joke that, you know, every TV show needs a cousin crystal. I mean, you know, <laughs> someone to just represent the identity. Um, and, you know, the identity is diverse. But, you know, um, I think that, you know, the world is the world is young Appalachians. It really is. Um, and, you know, the landscape is primed because it's so it's so needy in so many ways. There's so many needs that I feel that the needs, you know, you, you, it allows for creativity and it allows for wild creativity. And that's what the world needs now. I mean, you know, we, we need disruptors. We need big ideas. We need people to, you know, not take this, not take what the great grant maker in the sky says we need. You know, but um, to sit back and look and think, uh, you know, think of a think of a big idea and then go for it. I think that you saying there is opportunity in the challenge. I I think that that speaks to your Appalachian resilience. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, in twenty twenty, you can be the first anything, like you said, and um, that's really powerful. And that you're creating a space that should have been created a long time ago, obviously, but, um, definitely you're such a trailblazer. Oh my goodness. I, you're so inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot. Um, and I think that's a, really well, there's a flip, there's a flip side to that, Stacey. I'll just say that, you know, it, it is my sweet spot, but it's so frustrating to not see the results, mm -hmm. to feel them, to know them, to know um, that, you know, maybe if I walk down this path, it'll make it a little bit easier for somebody else or for me even to go down a path that someone else has created that they didn't see the results of, mm -hmm. you know, something. I mean, you know, so it comes with, it comes with its, its challenges, but I think it's like, it is that spirit of resilience. It is that, that spirit of, you know, um, doing, doing the best you can with what you got. Um, I will say that where my shift is happened is that I no longer believe that, um, that, that we should make the best of a place. Meaning, you know, I was raised that, you know, you, 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 you make the best of you, you know, you know, you, you make the best of your place. Right. I think I'm, I'm more of the idea of that, you know what, it's okay to move into a space where it's better, 
for you. You know, um, I think that's kind of counter to uh, the way that, that, that I was raised a, a lot. And it feels a little uh, like, I'm, you know, I, what's the word? I don't know. Like I'm kind of uh, betraying some, some, some identity, some roots, you know? Um, but I, I think that that's a long held Appalachian belief that you stay home and you, you, you know what I mean? You, 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 For sure. you, you, you grow, you grow where you're planted. That's what I'm saying. You grow where you're planted, you bloom where you're planted, as opposed to the idea that maybe you could bloom over here and pollinate back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. We're definitely raised to, uh, make lemonade out of lemons and yeah. Um, you know, I think that a hard idea that some people don't really come to terms with is that you don't have to be in a place to help it. You know, you are, um, an Appalachian woman all the way on the West coast and, you know, you're doing so many great things for Appalachians and for the identity of Appalachians. Um, and that's really important, even if you, you know, don't live in West Virginia anymore. Um, and that's a really good. Well, I, <laughs> true. West Virginia, wherever, you know, and um, yeah. For sure. Um, yeah. So I was lucky enough to get to see you perform at TEDx Corbin last March. And I think that, you know, speaking to your spirit of resilience, um, I think that's a great segue into our next question. So um, I saw you at TEDx Corbin. Um, phenomenal performance. Um, so that event was actually grounded in Appalachian culture. So I want to know what does Appalachian culture mean to you? Well, that was an interesting event. Um, one, I accepted the invitation and was excited to be there because it was going to be about Appalachian culture. And, you know, it was, it was, there was people there that I wanted to meet. Um, but I'll tell you one thing that, that kind of opened my eyes at that event um, and that um, it felt good. The community felt good. The gathering felt good. But I really didn't have an idea of the history of Corbin, Kentucky, which um, very much surprised me. Um, mm -hmm. I really haven't. I really haven't fully learned about that until the podcast uh, Black in Appalachia and some of the content that they've been sharing. Um, did I dig deep into it and realize, oh my gosh, right? Like right. here I am representing um, an Appalachian identity and in the middle of Corbett, Kentucky, this, you know, um, this town with this very racist past. Um, and then also I was very surprised that one of the key sponsors for that event was J.D. Vance's um, company App Harvest. And so there was a lot of surprises in sort of that event. But I think that really kind of just goes to show the diversity within Appalachian culture, right? I accepted an invitation because I was going to be around to the quote unquote, you know, the happy appies, I guess, you know, like all the things that, all the things that I agree with, right? Yeah. And then inside of it was this very complex narrative of, of J.D. Vance, of, of App Harvest, and what does, you know, what does this company mean? Um, what is Greenhouse, you know, um, or Green, yeah, 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 I, I mean, I think App Harvest is building like these huge greenhouses, you know what I mean, to grow um, to grow food where farmers are more computers than they are men. And, and, and that's complex. And then the history of Corbett, Kentucky. So, you know, I think that that event, um, you know, allowed me, you know, to say that, you know, this identity that we all walk in as Appalachians, it's complex. And we have to remember Appalachia is defined by these invisible lines, you know, and so um, even within that, you know, um, it, it, it kind of, uh, it, it lends itself to, um, you know, freeing yourself from, from a box, you know what I mean, of, of what, what, you know, what, what I think Appalachian culture is versus what somebody um, else thinks. I think we try to one up our Appalachian selves sometimes and I don't think it's necessarily um 
getting us anywhere. You know, I get very frustrated sometimes in the constant scholarly debate of what is Appalachia and what is Appalachian identity. And then I'll go to like, you know, the West side of Charleston where people that have lived there for generations and they don't even identify as Appalachian, you know? So anyway, I'm so glad that you were there and I'm glad that I was there at Corbin, Kentucky. I think it was a great representation. So if anyone's listening, you know, I think that there's a, uh, a TEDx Corbin link out there and you can go um, and, and really get a big dose of think of a diversity of thinkers from the region. Yeah, unfortunately I wasn't able to attend, but I, I did find that link and watched some, mm -hmm. some of, uh, some of uh, your TED talk and uh, that was really impressive. Um, Thank you. Social media Senator. I was hoping to talk a little yeah. bit about that. It's a, it's a genius idea to hold legislators accountable. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that, uh, how you came up with the idea? Are you still doing that campaign this election cycle? <laughs> well, uh, social media senator is, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so the great thing about social media senator is it's a political office that I made up and I run my own election. And so I, <laughs> for all infinity's purposes, um, <laughs> I shall remain social media senator for the digital district of West Virginia. Um, and, and I think that kind of speaks to itself, you know, of how politics is run, Mitch McConnell, right? Like that, how you can just like have this, like, you know, kingly power over an office and nobody really quite understands how it is or why it works. It's just, they can't get rid of you. So, um, so yeah, so Social Media Senator was an idea that um, was born a PT, I call that pre-Trump, and it developed as I started to see just how social media was being leveraged as the quote-unquote sort of bully pulpit of social media. Um, it was the platform, it was the meeting place, and you know, the the, the opportunity for regions uh, and places like West Virginia and Appalachia that are rural is that social media allows people to, you know, um, to discover the issues, take a deep dive into them, meet their political leaders, um, you know, but what it's done is actually create these sort of echo chambers and, you know, uh, a, what I think is truly an abuse of, of, of data uh, and, and the marketing of people. So when I created Social Media Senator, it was to bring the idea that we could organize online and that you could meet your politicians online. I did a couple of things early um, in, in my campaign. And I think of Social Media Senator as part performance art, part digital literacy, part political literacy. Um, so it's that edutainment kind of um, meeting. Um, the first thing I did um, was create a, a, um, a, a, a document that showed who in West Virginia actually had a Twitter and a Facebook, right? Because the majority of, this is PT, um, pre-Trump, the majority of politicians in West Virginia did not have those platforms. And um, I, having lived through a few um, natural disasters, floods and uh, man-made disasters, you know, chemical spills that, you know, polluted the water, where we didn't have resources, et cetera, et cetera. Social media became very important and our political leaders became very, very important because they were the people that you could trust quickly to tell you online where to go get water, where the, you know, wh what school to go to, to shelter in place or evacuation, things like that. And so if your political leaders are not online, they can't tell you those things. And sometimes, you know, um, anyway, so, so that was kind of early um, social media senator trying to just get people on the platform. And as we know, unfortunately, they have all arrived. And, They're um, loud and proud um, platforms. Yeah, they have, they have, uh, they have arrived in West Virginia, and they are tweeting and they are blocking and they are, they're doing their part. But also, um, now I like to talk a lot 
um, social media center in my social media center voice about um, data dignity. And I'm very proud. I was able to speak at a conference called Radical Exchange um, with the, some of the smartest people I've I've, I've really um, engaged with. Um, and Radical Exchange um, gave me a platform to speak as social media senator for the Digital District of West Virginia, where I compared um, the um, black jewel miners that stood on the train tracks, you know, demanding to be paid for the coal that they mined, um, to how we, the American public, is constantly mining data, right, for these platforms, and we're not getting paid for it. And how using that as an illustration that, you know, one of the things that I have um, done in my life is um, I, I'm off Facebook. I'm off Facebook in protest. I'm off Facebook for my mental health. I'm off Facebook for several reasons. But one, I'm contrib contributing my data via Facebook and I don't get paid for it. You're contributing your data. We, we, you know, Facebook's not the only platform, but it is a space that when you're absent from it in Appalachia, West Virginia, uh, people wonder, are you okay? Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> what happened to you? You know, um, which has been interesting. People have written me letters to ask if I'm okay because I'm not on Facebook. And I think that's kind of interesting. Like the fact that I'm not on Facebook should tell you that I'm actually very okay. But, um, <laughs> Social media senator, um, you know, I'm really, I'm really interested in learning about data dignity. I'm interested in how um, people in our region and the world can be paid rightfully so for the data that they're creating. I mean, you all do realize that they sell your data and you don't get a piece of it. And they sell that data to companies that are actually weaponizing ads and and, and, and targeting them back at you. And we think we're helpless, right? And so that's why when I think about the black jewel miners and how they demanded to be paid for the labor, the labor that, um, that they gave, right? And yet we don't necessarily see data as labor. And it's, um, it's a conversation that I think we need to be having. And so I use my social media senator voice. I use, you know, um, you know, the, the character, if you want, or, you know, performance art. Um, you know, I always say that social media senator um, is uh, totally made up, but very real political office for me. Yeah, um, I've actually never thought about how, you know, well, I mean, it's kind of like a known fact that like, Facebook obviously takes your data and sells it. But um I don't know. It never occurred to me to be off Facebook in protest of that. And I'm really glad you made the connection of that to the black jewel miners. Um, that's big. I might get on Facebook too. You might've just, you might've just persuaded me. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I'll, 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 I'll send you the link so you can share it. Um, maybe in your show notes. I think people might enjoy seeing that presentation. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's data so dignity. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of in that same vein, you know, with social media and giving a voice um, and new perspectives to people that may not have them. We've read some about your latest project and what we've all been waiting to hear about, um, mm -hmm. Black by God. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's an impressive project that incorporates a lot of things. Do you mind telling the yeah. listeners specifically um, what you want out of the project and what it incorporates and what was your biggest motivation, all of the good stuff, the juicy details, the good stuff. Okay. Um, well, if you're not from West Virginia, then I'll tell you, we have an expression there. Um, and we say West by God, Virginia, right? That's how I was raised. And, um, you know, and I've taken that um, expression and reframed it black by God, the West Virginian. And I am creating a newspaper, um, put that in quotations there, you know, a newspaper, a media platform where I'm centering Black West Virginians as opposed to trying to work through other publications that are looking in um, at the community. I'm looking out um, from Black West Virginians' perspective. And 
Um, how I'm going to do that, it's all coming together. I'm not quite sure. But I'm very fortunate that I am um, working, um, that I'm on a fellowship with WVU, the Reed um, College of Media there. Uh, I'm in a, in, a, in a program called New Start um, with six other cohorts from around the country. It's a media entrepreneurship um, where basically we're learning the nuts and bolts and the business end of, of how to develop a media news um, business. Uh, and it's fantastic. It's actually, you know, this is uh, this is my third degree that I'm working on. I'm an habitual student, and but this is probably the the smartest one. Some it's a, it's a it's a master's program um, there, but you know it feels so smart because it's actually real world application. I'm getting the skills in real time that I need to develop this, uh, you know, to run a business and. Um, and a news business, a media entrepreneurship business. And this industry is changing every day. I mean, it's, 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 it's changing so much. Um, so I'm very fortunate uh, to have that structure behind me, but this is my 16 year old dream. When I was 16 years old, I tried to buy the Beacon Digest. The Beacon Digest is West Virginia's last black newspaper. They went out of business, I think in 2009. And when I was in high school, I told my dad that I wanted to buy the paper. And of course, my dad, I've got the best dad in the world. He never tells me no. He, he never poo-poos on my dreams. He's always supportive. So my dad went to go broker this deal for me. And he came back and he said, well, baby girl, you know, they don't, they're not going to sell you the paper, but you can sell ads for them. And I was like, you know, like that little emoji with the little, you know, the little air bubbles. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I was furious. Like, I'm not going to sell ads. Like I'm going to buy this thing. Right. And so anyway, I decided in my mind that at 16, I could buy a newspaper and uh, here I am, you know, fast forward decades later and my dream is coming back around and, you know, it's not necessarily that I'm buying uh, an existing paper, which would make it a whole lot easier if I could but I can't, I have to create it. It doesn't exist. There hasn't been a, a, a black media property since 2009. And prior to that, we're talking back in the early 1900s, you know? Um, so, so I feel very, um, I feel that this is so needed. Um, I feel that, um, you know, I need a lot of help, you know, um, meaning, uh, I need, um, I need writers. I need community input. I need money. I need, you know, a lot. And I, you know, I say that I, because I right now, I'm the one just sort of trailblazing, mm-hmm. carrying the idea. Um, and, 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 you know, hopeful, hopeful with, with the intent that this is our, um, I always like to say West Virginia starts with we, Right. Um, and so we, you know, that we, this is, this is uh, black by God, uh, the West Virginian is our publication. And, you know, the thing is, uh, I've met some, 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 some naysayers and they say, well, you know, there's like, what, I mean, how many black people are there in West Virginia? You know, it's like 54,000, I'll tell you pre-census 54, maybe, maybe. And, um, and, in such a small number, people might think, oh, you know, what's, how are you going to do that? But to me, whenever there is a news information gap to any population, when we can fill that, we are serving the whole. So that to me is why I do not, I look at, you know, the opportunity is not just to serve um, and to fill a news information gap for this specific audience. Um, but how that translates to the whole. Um, and so, you know, it's, 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 it's my baby and I'm, I'm super excited and thank you all for giving me a chance, uh, an opportunity to talk about it. Um, you know, cause I, 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 one thing that I've always done through poetry or, or, or performance, um, or the way that I shape ideas is, it's very crowdsourced in a way, you know, uh, if you, if you follow any of my poems, you know, I'm just telling stories. I'm telling stories that I've heard bits and pieces from other people or, or interviews or research that I've done. And, um, this, this is, that's, that's just the early, that's just 
that's that's how I tell stories. And so that's the way I see Black by God being a platform where other people can tell stories. And we're not going to just be bound by um, the, the traditional journalistic narrative. You know, I'm excited to be able to feature um, all kinds of ways that people communicate and and, and share information. Yeah. Um, as I told you via email, I had checked out the Instagram and it looks awesome. Um, and I can't wait to see, you know, your dreams come to fruition. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, at the end of this, we do want to provide you, you know, time to, um, talk about any projects that you're, any other projects that we may not have mentioned or anything like that. So if you want to, at the end, you can drop your email. And of course, we'll put it in the written description of this episode. But if you want to drop your email or where people can inquire about potentially being a writer, then um, definitely, definitely do that. And I just want to make a couple comments on that. Um, mm-hmm. My dad, my, my dad's side of the family is all from Upshur County, West Virginia. Okay. All so, right. so whenever that that's something I kind of wondered whenever I seen the name of the project, if, if that kind if that kind of derived from that saying West by God, Virginia, uh, yep. that, that's pretty <laughs> cool. And, uh, also I just wanted to make the comment that that's really inspiring that you had the stream at such a young age mm-hmm. coming from Appalachia, West Virginia, and you never let go of it. And now you've achieved it or you're working on achieving it. And it's, it's inspiring. It's, that's amazing. It's pollinating. Yeah, you know, and it, it really does kind of go to show you, you know, and then listen, being a poet to me was was really just me just trying to figure out how to be a journalist, you mm-hmm. know, um, how to how to, you know, how to I, I had to get the, I had to get the story. And, you know, one of the things that this this publication comes from our or it's it's my desire to be a storyteller is, you know, I come from um, I come from 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 a childhood that was very challenging um you know and in that i always wanted somebody to tell my story to be an advocate for me and so i I was sort of the coming of age of oprah too you know like oprah would be on when i come home from school Mm -hmm. and i knew oprah was a journalist and i knew that journalists could make a difference and that they could tell the story and that they could speak for other people so they became sort of my little girl heroes, you know, and then I was on the newspaper staff and the yearbook staff. And I, I think that's what gave me the confidence to think that I could buy a newspaper, you know, because clearly I'm on the journalism staff. I'm on the newspaper staff at school. I know how to cut and paste and make a yearbook. So therefore, of course, I could run a newspaper. But, um, you know, it's important. It's important for people's stories to be told. It's important that we are advocates and give voice to people um, that need it. And I think what, what, what is so the opportunity and the challenge before me with Black by God is to be able to tell these stories that empower. And I, 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 I don't, I don't, that word sort of, sort of tricky for me, but, you know, to tell stories that give confidence, um, uh, to people. And we all know that information builds confidence and that not only that, it just, it, where people can see themselves it makes a difference you know when able when, when when you see yourselves in television you see yourself um you know in the newspaper um you see your community and it's not always just these negative headlines it's that bobby and Susie got married or Susie and becky got married or whatever is going on in your neighborhood you know but it's also it's that internal identity but then it's also i see black by god as a vehicle to tell our stories to a larger audience, to tell our stories to the diaspora, to tell our stories to uh, the folks that graduated and went on, those folks that decided that they wanted to, you know, uh, bloom someplace else, you know, but still care about home. And um, so we'll see. It's a big project. I work on it every day. Um, it's just one day at a time. Um, but I'm fortunate um, that, you know, uh, that people like yourselves see they see it. They see the vision with me. They see what I'm trying to do. And, and, um, you know, and, and it's, uh, it's happening. Yeah. So, um, you, you touch on this a little bit. What's the number one takeaway that you want people to have from this project? Like what's the, the main impact that you want to have on people? I just want people to find each other, you know, and not on Facebook. (laughs) I want people to find, um, I mean, 
you know, we have to let's 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 be real. I mean, the civil rights movement was organized without text messaging. You know, there have always been vehicles where um, um, rural communities, black communities, the grapevine, you know, the, the church bulletin board, you know, different ways people have found information. And I think that that's central. You know, the teachers strike. I mean, these these momentous um, efforts where people have organized themselves had to have a communication channel, had to have a vehicle um, that was both giving information, sharing information. Um, and, you know, I think that news is central to our democracy and to our literacy. And and so for me, you know, I, I, I believe in conduits. I believe in connectors. I believe in, um, you know, uh, and that's what I think for Black by God. Um, that's the role that I hope that it will show a conduit um, for people to find themselves and to start to share information. Um, and, and yeah, so that's kind of where I'm, that, that, that's what I think that might be a little different than some folks think about a, a, a newspaper um, or, 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 or media channel. But to me, it's just, it's just a connector. It's allowing people to find each other. For sure. And we live, we live in such a digital age in an age of instant gratification. And, you know, mm -hmm. I think that what you're doing is great work and, you know, maybe not every person my age logs on and looks at the New York times or the wall street journal. But I think that mm -hmm. something great about having an Instagram is being able to fill that gap in, you know, targeting audiences that are my, and I'm not saying that Instagram is just for like people my age or whatever, but, um, you know, Instagram and Twitter are the, the two most popular apps among people. So I think that's a great way to get that word out and we'll definitely be plugging. Mm -hmm. at the end Thank of you. And, and each platform has its own personality as social media Senator, I'll tell you that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so, you know, Instagram, I'm looking for it to be um, a place where people can share their history. You know, I'm posting historical um, pieces there um, and, you know, and so I'm kind of looking at the past, present and future. You know, I think mean, like I think folks of a certain age enjoy the history. Um, my, you know, young folks like, you know, they they, they enjoy Snapchat and, and TikTok. And I think that's also a way to tell stories, sure. you know, um, so so I'm, I'm, I am excited to see, you know, how, uh, I kind of look at it like Thanksgiving dinner, the website's going to be like our, our turkey, right? Yeah. You know, and that's where you'll go and you'll get your good stuff. And then we'll have all the side dishes, you know, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, you know, videos, you know, you know, all of those kind of, you know, as the, as, as, as our, as our side dish. Facebook might be the side of cranberry sauce that nobody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So switching gears a little bit, you know, whenever you type crystal good into Google, so many things come up and, you know, luckily for me, I was interested in your work from the get go. So um, it was easy for me to just click all these links and, you know, not get bored with anything that I saw. So, um, you know, while I was researching in preparation for this episode, uh, we, we came across an article covering one of your earlier poems titled Appalachian Blackface. Um, how do you see this as being, or if you want to tell us a little bit about that, but then also like, how do you see this as being relevant to Appalachian today, especially in light of the 2020 election. Oh gosh, you know, um, that, that poem was sort of a, a dig, um, at the way, you know, it, it, okay. So first of all, one of the ways that I write is sort of, there's a, usually a triple meaning happening. Uh, in my poetry. So on one layer, you might look at that poem and see um, how I'm talking about political candidates from the region putting on, you know, the, the coal miners black face coming out of the mines to say, we represent you, we care about you, but knowing that, um, you know, they're not helping to pass black lung laws. They're not helping to pass, you know, safety inspections. So it's the idea that a 
politician would put on a coal miner's blackface. Um, and equally in that poem, I'm talking about President Obama was um, president at that, that time, um, how, you know, so many of the Democrats or the history of the Democratic Party, you know, with minstrel shows and, and using, you know, Jim Crow, who was, um, you know, a puppet that was used to make fun of, of, of black men and women in these very character characterizations, negative characterizations, um, you know, kind of talking about that. And then just our collective, you know, the idea of, you know, um, how we're missing it, you know what I mean? Like how, how it's so easy to, I, I forgot about that poem. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's, I think it's a poem that doesn't, um, that is asking people to, to look beyond what people say, you know, to look beyond the identities that they're projecting, you know, um, to look beyond, I, I, I don't, I, 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 we'd have to revisit that poem. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not giving you a very good answer, but you know, um, I don't, that poem was well received in the sense that ha there happened to be like an NPR person mm -hmm. um, when I shared it. <laughs> I remember when I shared it, it was like cemetery silence afterwards, right? Like people were like, what did she just say? And then I got to sort of unpack it a little bit more in, in the NPR um, interview. But at that time, you know, Obama was the villain right? Obama was, uh, you know, the villain and, and he wasn't our kind and, you know, all this rhetoric was going through and, you know, it just seemed like, it just seemed like, you know, when you start to look at the history that none of it really made sense and that we were all falling for the show. We were falling for the show and we were laughing at things and we were clapping for things that we shouldn't be. Yeah, the um, feeling that I got whenever I first heard it, you know, I, you said the room was dead silent, but me, I was like, wow, just hit me like a ton of bricks, you know, um, and I think that I had the same feeling. I'm trying, I was trying to look up the name of the poem, um, but I read it in a Kentucky history class, and it was, mm -hmm. I believe it was called Kentuck by, and I think mm -hmm. it could have been by Frank X. Walker, but I'm not 100% sure, so I don't want to say that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I just remember reading that poem, and then your poem gave me the same kind of like, wow, all the triple meanings, and especially whenever, um, I guess I interpreted the triple meaning a little bit better is because I read the article, um, yeah. first, and then I listened to it, and I was like, wow, um, that, it was just really powerful, uh, and you were, you gave a great answer, so do not be self-conscious about that, please. <laughs> Um, where are we? Let's see. Okay, yeah. Um, many of your pieces focus on race relations in Appalachia, mm -hmm. and I want to get your, this podcast is, you know, I knew that I wanted to talk to you about a culmination of things. I wanted to talk to you about your, your art, your entrepreneurship, your everything, but also just like your general opinions. Um, and mm -hmm. we want to get your opinion on current political climate surrounding systemic racism in our country and maybe like share a little bit about your perspective, your experiences, and maybe your thoughts, how the current political climate is affecting race relations in Appalachia. Oh, so glad you asked. Let's see. Um, I'll tell you what I'm thinking about today. How about that? Yeah, it's, you absolutely. know, it's just. And so today I'm in a little bit of a, I'm uncomfortable because I feel that, you know, a lot of what I see and feel is um, um, a lot of well-meaning white people in Appalachia that tend to point the finger over there at sort of, you know, racism that, um, you know, says the N-word, it, 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 it's loud, it, it, you know, it's unapologetic, it's rude, you know, sort of the, the racism that racists can necessarily like say, okay, you know, and that to me takes the responsibility 
um, off of work that can be done, um, like I said, within quote unquote, well-meaning white Appalachians that think because X, Y, and Z, that's not me. And this is where I feel that there's so much just, um, well, you know, this is the problem. This is the problem for me. This is the problem uh, in my life. This is the problem that I'm wrestling with in, 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 in my yesterday and my today. And I'll just give you a real world example. Um, there's a new book out. It's called Appalachian Falling, I believe is the name of it. Um, and, you know, I'm reading these reviews. And this book is meant to show, um, I, I have to Google, it's, it, it, um, here, let me just tell you, because I, I want to make sure I'm Appalachian falling, the, the, um, the author is Jeff Young, and the, the book examines, you know, the collapse of the coal industry, but the way that it's being pitched is that if we could look into Appalachia, then we will see the problems of America, right? I'm cool. Let's get down with that, right? I'm like, all right, this book looks like, yes, okay, right. We look at Appalachia, we can see America. I believe that. That's, that's where I, I, you know, I kind of center things. And then when I started to read the reviews of the book, the way that the publisher positioned it, the way that, you know, quote unquote, hillbilly elegy was used to kind of compare the book to, but there's no mention of race. There's no mention of race in the marketing of this book, yet it's being marketed as a book that if we look into Appalachia, we can see America. So, you know, I reached out to some people that helped support the book, people that I genuinely respect. And, you know, it's sort of this very, this answer of like, well, you know, you read the first chapter or I have to do all this work, right? And, but what I'm saying is you're marketing Appalachia as a way to see America, but you have not included race in any of your marketing. And I think this is kind of like, you know, um, and, but yet this is a quote unquote well-meaning person that has, or you know, they've, they, they've hired black folks, they do this and do that. And it's, it's all very confusing, but the center of it for me is, uh, you know, how are things ever going to change? Um, you know, if, if we're carrying signs in the street saying, quote unquote, hillbillies for Black Lives Matter, but yet we are not actually making change in the spaces that we can actually control, make change, double checking, triple checking, what is the narrative we're putting out? Am I standing up for, um, you know, against racism in my home with my neighbors? Am I making uncomfortable decisions? Am I, you know, I mean, the list could go on, but as an example of something that really bothers me, um, that's just sort of the latest you know, and every day it's something else. Every day it's a friend that disappoints me. Every day it's an organization that some accusation comes out against them that I actually have borne witness to or can say, you know what? You know, that's about the fifth black woman that came out and said that, you know, this organization in Appalachia has, you know, not been kind to them or X, Y, and Z. And, and people just keep overlooking it. And it's very, um, you know, it, it, it makes me fearful that change, you know, people, we know that the Brianna, we know what's happening and with the Brianna Taylor, we're, we're all just on the edge of our seats waiting to find out what the grand jury's going to say, you know, and, uh, and it's almost as if because of, you know, the big national issues that are coming um, across people's news feeds and Twitters that allows them to disassociate from, you know, what, what they can do in their immediate circle. And then on top of that, I feel an incredible amount of burden to explain, to offer why, to give 
15 examples and write a thesis of how this could potentially be you and your organization continuing white supremacy. And, you know, that's why um, I think that it's a very individual responsibility that everybody has to take in this moment um, if they want to see um, change, you know, and if fundamentally people believe that racism exists in this country was built on, um, you know, a white supremacist narrative and and economic structure, then, um, you know, we all have a, a, a part to do um, in, 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 in making this change, you know, um, and I think Appalachia, you know, I was very hopeful that this book, you know, building off of a narrative that, you know, if we look into Appalachia, we can see all of America. And I do believe that. And maybe that's kind of the thing, you know, the fact that, you know, a, a publisher, a writer, 10 other people that read this marketing initiative would not see that it was missing race. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the whole white Appalachians meaning well, I kind of think that that plays into overt. And this is just something that I recently learned about. Like I always knew that, you know, it's not enough to just not be racist yourself. Like you have to be anti-racist, right? And so mm -hmm. um, I never really knew how to put that into, I guess, like terminology, I would say, um, until I actually saw it on Instagram, um, overt versus covert racism and I think that a lot of white Appalachians may fall into that covert racism where you know they're not saying slurs and they're not flying the confederate flag but maybe they're not having those difficult conversations with their loved ones and they're not you know doing little things in their everyday life to make space better for um people that deserve it you know yeah, it, it's complex, you know, and, and, and you know, another, so, so that's one, you know, one example just in this, in this narrative of like, you know, the context of this podcast and, you know, people that, you know, value and appreciate and like to explore their Appalachian identity. How can, you know, and how can, this is, like how, how can people get so fired up about hillbilly elegy, right? I mean, but yet, this book, and I'm talking about it on my Twitter, Appalachian Falling comes out, it's pitching itself as a lens, as Appalachia being a lens into America, but it's absent of race. It's talking about environmental issues, it's talking about economic structure, mm -hmm. you know, and to me that says a lot. It says so much, and the worst part about that is once I sort of brought this this, once I brought this to attention, you know, the conversation ends because a white author wants to end the conversation with me, right? It's like, I don't want to talk about this anymore, Crystal. I'm done. And I find this over and over and over again, then sort of the stereotype of the angry black woman, or I feel like, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's just exhausting. And it just makes me kind of just <laughs> like, uh, you know, I want to, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to talk about it either. But, you know, I feel that it's, we have a import, we have, we have such a role if we're going to, you know, put push forward um Appalachia as identity to you know as and and as as wanting Appalachia's voice in America to honor you know that that is not just white people in Appalachia and that that is not you know just um you know uh an environmental conversation it is it is many many things um Anyway, that's just kind of like it. it I just, I, I just see that, um, you know, uh, I'm more afraid of the uh, of the folks um, that won't stand up when they know something is wrong than the folks that are actually over there perpetrating some, you know, 
yelling something or, <laughs> you know, I mean, to me, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I know, I know who that person is over there. Right. right. But it's the people that are standing beside me that, you know, won't speak up um, or won't, you know, take a little time to, like you said, explore what does it mean to be anti-racist. Um, but I will tell you one thing. My friend Jeff James has a book dropping right now. It's called Giving Up Whiteness. Um, and he is a white he is a white man from Appalachia, and he spent five years researching how to give up whiteness and how his well-meaning white Appalachian roots didn't help him. Um, didn't didn't you know his Christian identity? You know he really unpacked what that. Um, he really unpacked, you know, how that feeds into this kind of, you know, I'm a good person. I'm not, you know, I didn't, my, my, my family didn't belong to KKK or whatever, you know, how people might uh, decipher themselves as good. So it's a great book. And I think it, it offers a lens for a lot of white Christian Appalachians to kind of see, you know, what they can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And what was his name? James? Jeff James. Jeff mm -hmm. James. Gotcha. I am definitely gonna purchase that. Is it on Amazon? Yeah, I think it's all it's it, it's, it's, it's it's everywhere. Yeah, that's uh that's interesting. That'll be a good read for sure. Thank you for sharing that, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've just got a couple more questions, and uh, sure. we wanted to talk about your uh, poetry collection that came out in 2012, Valley Girl. Mm -hmm. um, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, from from our research, your website indicates that you may be working on a uh, updated version of Valley Girl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? How it's going? Uh, are you are you currently doing any other mixed media projects? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably sitting. I'm sitting on a lot of stuff. Uh, it's just a matter of like, um, you know, I'll tell you what was so great about Valley Girl is is one. It's, I call it, it's like the little book that could, you know, it's a little book that I just ran off, self-published, and it really did get me around the world. I mean, I've really performed that, that book and in, uh, you know, on many stages across the world. That kind of my, blows my mind. But, you know, I sold that book myself. I sold it in, out of my purse at basketball games, you know, it was like a, like a rapper in his mixtape, you know, it's like, I'm just selling it, you know, out of my car. I could sell you one right now. You know, it's like, you know, it was such a hustle for me. And it, it, that's that entrepreneur spirit for me. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Like I can market my book better than a publisher can market my book, you know, like I'm just, this doesn't make any sense. So the book still makes, you know, still, still, I still earn money from, from the book. And all the money comes to me, right? And so I think, you know, when I look at, uh, um, at publishing, you know, certainly, you know, there's a lot of credibility that comes with a publisher. And I am working um, towards, you know, building that relationship and building a, a product and, you know, second book that um, could be distributed that way. But, you know, I'm still pretty gung-ho grassroots, you know, like, I'll just do it myself. So, you know, Look, Billy, we'll see. Right. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll see. I, I really, um, um, I'm working on sort of just like a, you know, like an anniversary edition for Valley Girl with a new poem and a new cover. And, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's still a fun book. It's still, it's, it's, it still has a lot um, um, that it's, that it's giving, um, I think, um, but yeah, so, you know, poems, I take them one day at a time. Um, as you can tell, I've got a lot of fires burning and, um, they all kind of work together for me. Um, at least in my mind. So that's yeah. awesome. Um, yeah, you're definitely the type of person that has their hands in so many, <laughs> so many different, uh, pots. So, uh, well, Crystal, you're an artist, you're an entrepreneur, and an all-around great advocate and superstar, and we already knew that coming in, um, so hopefully now our listeners know that as well, and we could do, I, <laughs> I think that we could truly do like three more episodes of just things that you do or that you have done, 
Um, we kind of wanted this to encompass a little bit of everything, as you can probably tell, you know, your um, earliest book from 2012 yeah. to, you know, what you're doing currently. So, um, and yeah. then just your opinion on the world in general. So uh, we kind of wanted to do a little bit of everything, but if you ever want to come back on, be our guest. Absolutely. Um, so are there any more, you know, fun projects that you're working on that you would like to self promo or, you know, anything that we miss that you just want to add? Um, and, you know, here, feel free to drop, um, Black by God's Instagram, all of that yeah. good stuff. Well, you know, blackbygod.org. You can go there and sign up. You can find me on all your socials. I'm at C Good Woman. And um, if you go there, you'll find a link tree and that'll take you to Social Media Senator or that'll take you to, you know, TED Talk or Poetry Book. Um, but, you know, I, I just want to encourage other people to, you know, um, explore. I love what... Um, Black and Appalachia is doing. I think that's so important to support. Um, it's a podcast and they have a beautiful um, a platform that they're creating. Um, you know, I, I, I think that don't, don't forget West Virginia. I think that a lot of people, when they, they, they think of Appalachia, they, you know, a lot of Tennessee there's a lot of Kentucky you know West Virginia I challenge your listeners to you know say hey I just heard about this woman Crystal Good she's doing this thing um in West Virginia if they've listened this far mm -hmm. do you know anybody else can you name two other poets can you name another journalist can you name another creative can you name you know, other folks from West Virginia that are doing stuff, you know, and connect with them and support them. I mean, my, my list is pretty long. I try to shout people out <laughs> by Instagram, but you know, it's like, I, I really, you know, this, this world is built through community and through connections. And, um, as much as, uh, uh, if you, if you, if you're supporting me, um, you know, know that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to support somebody else. So about all I got yeah well absolutely thank you again so much for taking time out of your obviously busy schedule um forever grateful um Dr. Engel I think this scored us some brownie points uh <laughs> we're now <laughs> tell the doc I said thank you hello and all that and um you know if we need to you know if, uh, I'd love to come back once I get Black by God launched which I'm planning to launch it um 2021 legislative session in West Virginia so Absolutely. Um, yeah, we'll put that on our calendar for, uh, okay. <laughs> for the, for the next year. Yeah, for sure. So look out for an email from me. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, thank you all. And thank you for listening and being here and, um, you're welcome for having such a great guest on today. So, uh, <laughs> but in the meantime, I'm Stacy. I'm Billy. And we'll holler at you later. Thanks guys. <laughs>